0: Workforce Health Engagement Episode 15, How to Make the Most of Narrow Networks, featuring Scott Wallace from Dartmouth College. Welcome to Workforce Health Engagement, a show exploring strategies to improve your employees' health and productivity, and to protect your bottom line. Join us as industry experts discuss how to engage employees in population health management, wellness, and healthcare consumerism. This is a special series by the producers of the top-rated podcast, Engaging Leader. And now, with 20 years of experience as a communication consultant to Fortune 500 companies, helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees, here's your host, Jesse Leahy. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Direct contracts and narrow networks of healthcare providers offer new ways for employers to control the costs of healthcare. But Many of these arrangements are missing huge opportunities to improve health and deliver true value for the money you spend. Today, we'll discuss five ways to make the most of your narrow network. Our guest today is Scott Wallace. He is visiting professor at Dartmouth and a leading expert in employee health strategy and chronic disease care design. Scott Wallace, welcome to Workforce Health Engagement. Thank you. Scott, narrow networks has been a big trend for the last several years and a growing trend. First of all, is this even a good idea for employers to get into?
1: I I think it's a great idea. Um, The the concern that I have is the way that it's being done. But but in response to your question, is it good? I think the opportunity of narrow networks is an opportunity to drive employees into truly high value providers. Um, Right now, most employers look at care as a commodity and they send employees anywhere. And many employees look at care as a commodity. So they can go to the hospital down the street or the one across town or one in a different city. And it's all kind of the same. And the reality is there are huge, huge variations in the outcomes of care. And we can use narrow networks to actually provide mechanisms for pushing employees into those providers who do the best job, who have the best outcomes for the cost that they charge.
0: Now for most employers to put a narrow network into play, so traditionally you have a, a plan design where you have in-network benefits and out-of-network benefits, and this is actually a, maybe a third tier where you go to just this, this even narrower network than the normal network to, to get the best deal as the employee does that require the employer to establish a direct contract with the health uh, care provider uh, and going around the sort of insurance-based networks? Or are there other ways for employers to plug into those kind of deals?
1: Well, I, I think there are a lot of different mechanisms that we're seeing people come out with. Um, there are sort of collaboratives um, like the Pacific Business Group on Health Um, There are organizations set up, like uh, Bridge Health in Colorado. Um, Employers are doing a fair bit of direct contracting, so um, in the uh, Lowe's, for example, has struck a contract directly with the Cleveland Clinic for heart care. Um, Shell has a contract directly with MD Anderson for cancer care. and at the same time, there are insurance plans that are putting together narrow network offerings. So I think the way people are getting into these is is as varied as it's ever been with any other kind of a contracting arrangement. Um, the question is, who's in the narrow network and why?
0: And you've made the point that a lot of these networks are being constructed without regard to the value that they deliver. Maybe they're just overly focused on Pricing discounts, for example. Mm-hmm. What? How do you recommend that an employer uh, set up a network?
1: Well, the the problem with clustering patients or clustering employees based on cost is that it ignores dramatic variations in health outcomes that different uh, different providers achieve. So, when we talk about differences in outcomes, it's not just differences between different hospitals, but it's even between different clinical teams within a given hospital. So for example, you could have a hospital that does a phenomenal job on uh, hip replacements, but that same group might not be very effective at knee replacements, which seems kind of odd. You'd think, boy, if we're really good at hips, we're going to be really good at knees, but it doesn't always follow. And then when you start to expand that scope out even more broadly, you start to say, you know, the fact that this hospital does hips really well doesn't mean that it does maternity care very well at all, or it does really poorly in cancer care. Um, and so the issue has to be starting to look at the outcomes that providers achieve for different medical circumstances. The needs of a, an employee or a patient with type 2 diabetes are really different than the needs of an employee with um, prostate cancer. And so what we need to do is start thinking about where can we send our employees to get them the best outcomes for their condition? And it seems when you first start thinking about it as this overwhelming, mind-blowing kind of a task, but employers actually can start to sort their employees and figure out where they have big concentrations of needs. So you know you, you will find in some places where um, guys are climbing in and out of trucks throughout their career that you'll have a lot of knee replacements. Well, okay, we we know how to focus around finding the best organization, you know, pretty much in the country to do knee replacements. Or you could say, you know, for whatever reason, we have a very high incidence of type 2 diabetes. So how do we start finding really good providers for type 2 diabetes? And I think rather than focusing on cost, we should be focusing on what are we getting for the cost? Are we getting really good outcomes? And recognize that some people do really well and some people don't. And it's not just luck. It's it's not, gee, you were a lucky person and you came out with a really good outcome. Good outcomes correlate with good providers.
0: So the first step, if I can reiterate that, is to match the needs of the patients with the providers who have an excellence in that particular condition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a a point that we miss sometimes in healthcare. We, we tend to, to, um, I, I, I always tell people that in, in the U S we have eminence based medicine, not evidence based medicine. (laughs) And, and what I mean is, you know, you you ask somebody, well, you know, I, have got this shoulder problem. What should I do? And they say, oh, go, go talk to Joe. You know, he, his doctor is the 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 shoulder guy for the Chicago Cubs. Well, okay, except maybe the the shoulder problem that the Chicago Cubs have isn't the same problem that you have, but also maybe the Chicago Cubs aren't getting as good of outcomes as they really should. And so we we do it mm-hmm. based on reputation rather than based on data. And I think that narrow networks provide a tremendous opportunity for employers to catalyze a shift to thinking about outcomes and pushing uh, pushing providers to publish their outcomes for specific medical conditions. And I I can give you an example of one that's really compelling, if you'd like. Um, We looked at a a clinic in Hamburg, Germany. Um, Why? Well, because it looked to us like they had the best published outcomes in prostate surgery. So we went over and we looked at this, this clinic, and... When you look at their five-year survival rate, they're indistinguishable from other hospitals in Germany. So, five-year survival rate are about 95%. But when you look at the rates of complications of the men who have radical prostatectomies, it, the, the variation is stunning. Hmm. Um, what we found was that men who have prostate surgery at the average hospital in Germany have five times higher rates of impotence and incontinence than those who have the same surgery at the Martini Clinic in Hamburg. And so that's one of those situations where, you know, if you were an employer in Germany, um, you would really want your employees going to the, the Martini Clinic. There are similar kinds of outcome differentials. If you look at heart surgery at the Cleveland Clinic, or outcomes for patients with type 1 diabetes at the Joslin Clinic in in Boston, or if you look at functional capabilities of patients with head and neck cancer who go to MD Anderson. So there are these really specific situations where you can say there are dramatically better outcomes that we can get if we encourage our folks to go to those places. If we make it easy... And if we make our employees aware of, of those differences in outcome, you know, whenever I teach the case on the Martina Clinic, you know, you, you put up those results differentials and I, every guy in the room picks up a pen and starts writing down because, mm. you know, if they ever need prostate cancer surgery, <laughs> you know, living life without, you know, living life as with, with potency and with continence is a whole lot different proposition than living life with impotence and and incontinence.
0: Yeah, that that would make a huge difference. Right. So, well worth the inconvenience of going to a a provider that's farther away and maybe also having the employer pick up some travel costs to get me there.
1: Yeah, and and so, you know, we're not going to use these kind of arrangements for every single circumstance. So, if you have an earache or, you know, if you have pink eye or if you have an emergent situation, you know, um, yeah. these, these are specific kinds of circumstances if you're not local. But then even if you look locally, what you'll find is that there are dramatic differences in the outcomes of providers. And we ought to know what those differences are and not assume that everybody with an MD delivers the same quality of care outcomes. And, and also not to assume that any given MD... Achieves spectacular outcomes in every kind of situation. Um, I, I always use the, the Michael Jordan rule with people. And I say, you know, think about Michael Jordan, um, arguably the best basketball player of all time. Um, couldn't make it as a major league baseball player. Mm-hmm. Couldn't, I mean, he got into the minor leagues because he, he played basketball for the guy who owns the White Sox. So, <laughs> you know, it was easy to get in. Um, but he also couldn't make it as a golfer. And so, we, we recognize in sports that excellence in one area doesn't connote excellence in another area. But we, we assume somehow that in healthcare, that's not the case. That, you know, if you're really good at doing, you know, primary care for 50-year-old men, that you're going to be really good at doing primary care for 18-year-old women. They're, they're really different.
0: Scott, you encourage companies to establish and report relevant outcomes. And I'm thinking about how powerful that would be to engage employees and their dependents in choosing the providers that have the best outcomes. But it seems like there's all sorts of uh, obstacles that would get in the way. For example, one of the outcomes that you encourage people to report is how quickly do employees return to work after a, a given surgery? I mean, how, do you, how realistic is that for an employer to uh, identify that kind of information and report it and not end up violating any, any kind of HIPAA rules?
1: Well, there, there are two ways to do this. Um, one is on a purely voluntary basis. Hey, you know, we're, we're trying to gather this information. Um, we won't use your name, but we want to share the information with other employees um, from this company. Would you be willing to put your information in? Um, employees can voluntarily waive the HIPAA restrictions, um, and when they do, employers are free to use that information. The second way to get around it is is use a vendor. Um, a vendor who doesn't share identified information can collect that information about employees, um, either by going directly to the employees and saying, "Hey, um, you know, would you mind filling out this survey that give us this information on your functional outcomes? You know, when when you finished having this surgery." Were you able to walk? Um, were you able to dance? Could you, you know, pick up and hold your your children, your grandchildren? Could you cook? Could you? There are all those sorts of functional outcomes. But then, vendors can also track absentee data and and lots of other information to figure out whether employees are returning to work, whether employees are fully capable. You know, how many people end up disabled as a result of a particular kind of surgery? How many people? return fully to work. Um, you know, um, if, if you look at back surgery data, it's awful. You know, 95% of back surgeries fail. Why aren't we tracking more of that information and providing... You know, It's one thing if, if you read a, a general set of statistics that say 95% of back surgeries say, fail. It's a different thing if, if you, know, you can connect to five employees who you work with at the same company and they say, yeah, I did that surgery. It was awful. It didn't work. Um, you know people might go forward, people buy lottery tickets, but um I think those are those are the kinds of data that will help employees to make better decisions
0: how what sorts of methods have you seen employers use to communicate those outcomes?
1: Well, you know we we have requirements now um, under federal law for Medicare that when, when employees leave hospitals, they get surveys. And the surveys ask questions like, you know, were the sheets soft and was the food good? <laughs> and did they respond quickly when we, you called the nurse? Um, but I don't really know of anybody who's ever gone to a hospital for a spa experience. You know, mm-hmm. we're in the hospital because we want to get better. And the the major survey companies that do this kind of work don't actually ask, did you get better? Hmm. And, you know, I, if I'm going into the hospital for surgery, I'll endure a couple of days of, of scratchy sheets and, you know, a nurse who doesn't respond immediately and I'm not there for the cuisine um, because I want to get better. You know, we fly for the same reason. We fly not because the seats are comfortable and the, the flight attendants are nice. Or because somebody feeds us, but we fly because we want to get from here to there. And when we do, we feel like that's successful. In healthcare, we need to have the same sort of an attitude that says, let's focus on what really matters. Did you get better? And I think until we start asking those questions, um, either informally or rigorously through surveys or, you know, employers pay for a lot of care. They can ask for this information. They can ask providers to start providing this information. And some of them do. You know, you can go to the Cleveland Clinic and you can get all of their outcomes based on each institute. They publish books on it. Take that book to your set of providers and say, how do you stack up? Do you do as well as the Cleveland Clinic in stroke care? Do you do as well as the Cleveland Clinic in knee?" And what you'll find is there probably are providers who do better. You have to find who they are, and they have to publish this data.
0: I'm thinking of large companies that have, but that are spread across many locations across the country, or around the world, even. And uh, let's say in, a, in an industry, industry such as manufacturing, where it's a, it's a lot less common anymore to have a single location have a huge number of employees. There might might be fewer than a thousand employees at each of their locations. Does that get in the way? Does it make it uh, harder to negotiate those kind of relationships uh, or have that kind of leverage with a provider?
1: yeah, it it definitely makes it more complicated than if you have a hundred thousand people in one city. you know mm-hmm. um, if 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 you're Boeing and you have you know a lot of manufacturing facilities in um, uh, Washington, you know they they have a different kind of a relationship. but there really are two different ways to to address this. Um, one is to look at national national uh, care providers, and again, you're not going to do it for you know for ear aches and, and sinusitis, um, but for things you know major things like bypass surgery or joint replacements or cancer care, um, you could set up a national relationship. Um, Shell does this with MD Anderson. If if an employee of Shell ends up with cancer. Um, they are given the option to fly with a family member to Houston and get their care at, at MD Anderson. Um, Delta does the same thing for major conditions with a number of different um, health care providers. So one avenue is this national contracting. The the other is use the associations. You know, the, the the business groups on health have been very focused on negotiating discounts. We need to start shifting that focus into um a, a focus on negotiating for outcome measurement for outcome data um for value are they providing who who are the providers in every given region who actually deliver value better outcomes for the money that's spent for treating the full cycle of a patient's condition
0: well speaking of money we've been talking about outcomes and providing transparency in terms of data on the, on outcomes for each provider well how about costs you've call also encouraged employers to get tougher with providers on providing real transparency regarding what things cost and I know one of the big obstacles to that are when you when you have all these uh, specialists uh, and other providers slip in, that are basically non-network you go to the, the patient goes to the hospital to get a, pr- a procedure done but let's say the anesthesiologist is not actually in a, a staff on that hospital and so you get a, a non-network charge anyway how, do, how does an employer start to uh, deal with that
1: well I, I think this is one of the biggest risks that narrow networks face um new york times ran a front page story about it a couple of weeks ago um the 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 risk that employees patients consumers are are going to get socked with these enormous out of network charges is a huge threat to the whole idea of of narrow networks i think um and we need to find some ways to improve the transparency of that one easy way to do it is to require the providers with whom one is contracting to ensure that everybody practicing in their facility is in the network. Um, You know, we're we're playing a little bit of a -a whack-a-mole game again in healthcare (laughs) where we, you know, we smack down on this one side of it and it pops up over in this other area. But I think this is a relatively easy one for, for employers to get a handle on. If you strike a narrow network contract, you can require that anybody who's practicing medicine inside that facility is in the network that they won't give privileges to people who are outside of that network, and push that issue back on the providers to manage um, the the situation that was described in the New York Times. You know, just just optically is 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 bad. I mean, you know, here comes somebody who they, they couldn't have found a better patient. This guy did all kinds of research and talked to people ahead of time about the cost. He was the perfect consumer of healthcare, and yet you know, while he was unconscious, somebody came in to assist in an operation. And, you know, the, the charge was $100,000 $100, or 100 and something. It was an enormous charge. So I think the easy thing to do on this really quickly is just to put the providers in the role of ensuring that anybody practicing in their facility um, is included. Or if not, that, you know, that's known ahead of time. This seems like a, a pretty simple task for us to get, get ahead of.
0: Are providers getting better at answering employees' questions up front about costs? I mean, I can think of so many times when, even in, in my own experience, being the the knowledgeable consumer that I am, asking, now, what's this going to cost before I, I, I go into it? And the providers will say, well, we don't know until we get in there and, and see what, 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 what the situation is.
1: Yeah, well, there there's sort of two different issues there, I think. One is um, the, you know we're going to be repairing the engine and we're not sure if we need to do a valve job until we, you know, take the the cover off. Um, That one, I I think there's got to be some latitude, some recognition that, you know, um, but I think also those are declining in likelihood. You know, exploratory surgery, which was something that you read a great deal about 20 years ago, is almost unheard of now Mm. Um, with the imaging and the capabilities that we have. You know, Major procedures, people are going to know what they're doing before they go in. Um, the The other part of that is I think that employers have the capability through their employee assistance programs to really help employees who want to get this information. Um, you know if 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 you are an EAP expert within an employer that has you know five thousand employees, you're gonna get pretty good at dealing with heart surgery, at, at dealing with you know type 2 diabetes, at dealing with knee replacements or pregnancies or whatever it is, whereas your employees each time, you know, just about every time it's a first impression issue. And so I think the, 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 the other side of this equation is that employers, ought to be providing a lot more help to employees because this isn't, um, it's its its not trivial stuff and it, it is an inside baseball game. And, you know, you have to have somebody who speaks the language and knows who the people are and can make the calls and can wait for the phone calls back and all of those kinds of things. And I think that's a place where employers can really add a lot of value on behalf of their employees.
0: So, Scott, just to summarize those, your, your points are, number one, to, to make... To, to provide better value through narrow networks, you should match needs with excellent providers. Number two, demand that providers demonstrate excellence for specific conditions. Number three, establish and report relevant outcomes. And number four, mandate real transparency. Scott, where can people find out more about you and your work?
1: Well, I'm a professor at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth. Um, so they can always look me up at Dartmouth. Uh, we also have a website um, in which we uh, have our articles and, and information posted that's at redefininghealthcare.org. And uh, they can go on there um, or uh, shoot me an email at uh, scott.wallace at dartmouth.edu.
0: Scott Wallace, thanks for joining us on Workforce Health Engagement.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Alright, engagers, that wraps up this episode. We'll provide the information and links that Scott mentioned in our show notes for this episode. You can find those show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash WHE15, as in Workforce Health Engagement episode 15. And while you're on the show notes page, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts or questions in the comments section or by clicking the red send voicemail button. You can also engage with us at facebook.com forward slash engagingleader. Or on Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy. Workforce health engagement is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications, helping mid size and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results in several areas, not only health engagement but also talent management, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. If you enjoy this series, be sure to check out the leadership podcast, Engaging Leader, where my guests and I share ways to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. You can find both workforce health engagement and Engaging Leader podcasts in iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, over the long term, a program of the day won't help you boost employee health, productivity, and your bottom line. For sustainable success, you need an integrated approach to workforce health engagement.